Welcome to episode two of Agents of Everything. This is James Tripp. We are diving into the subject of self-development and the three wise monkeys. Now, I'm making this from a very personal place because I have made an income for many years now within what you might call the self-development world. So I work with people in a variety of different ways, helping them to develop themselves professionally or personally so they're more able to show up in the world, having the kind of experiences they want to have, creating the kinds of results they want to create. Now, I got into this world, as I mentioned in episode number one, for purely selfish reasons. I wanted to increase my own agency, my own ability to create the life that I, a life that I would love living. Now, this means I've spent a lot of time in this world. I have consumed a lot of product in this world. If that sounds superficial, when I say that, what I really mean is I've engaged with a lot of teachers, I've engaged with a lot of teachings, I've explored, I've implemented. And there's something I've noted within the culture. And this is an idea that we must at all times, if we are to make the best of ourselves and make the best of our world, we must look at the world in a very particular way and in a very, very positive way. I call this the three wise monkeys principle i.e. in the world of self-development, we must see no evil, we must hear no evil, and we must speak no evil. Right? So we must be positive all the time. We must be creative. We must be generative. There's some value to this view. But I think, as with everything, if you get captured fully by it and you become controlled by it and stifled by it, what you lose is a lot of your ability to be adaptive and creative because you're adhering to a particular set of rules. Now, let's look at why this might exist. First of all, this hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, be positive at all costs. The first thing to recognize is there's a huge influence on the world of self-development from things like new thought. And there's also a kind of big postmodern influence. We have within it a core idea that the ideas we hold create our experience of the world. And this is something I very much adhere to. Right? The way we see things, the way we think about things creates our experience of things. And what we want to do is we want to be in our most resourceful self at all times. So it's important that we create ourselves to be in the world in what I sometimes call a high vibration way. And this comes from sort of new thought thinking. New thought thinking is stuff like law of attraction, stuff like that. Right? A different way of thinking about it in NLP terms is we want to be in a resourceful state all the time. So if I'm looking at what's wrong endlessly, if I'm feeling despairing, if I'm making a victim of myself, if I'm looking at things in the world and reacting to them, then I'm on the back foot. I'm not really taking charge, creating my state, and therefore how I show up and engage. So the best thing to do is manage my ideas and think only good thoughts. Think good thoughts, think good thoughts, think good thoughts. However, what this assumes is what you might call, and forgive the terminology on this, I'll explain this as I go, what this assumes is what you might call a naive idealism. Okay, a naive idealism. Now, I just want to say something about uh, this term. It's a term that comes from epistemology. Now, epistemology... There's different ways you can look at this, but in the world of formal philosophy, epistemology is the study of what 
we can know initially, first and foremost, and then you could broaden it out to being the study of how we know. But initially in Western philosophy, epistemology was concerned with what we can know, how we come to knowledge, or what we can particularly know for certain. What is it that gives us reliable certain knowledge? Cut the long story short, in the sort of history of modern Western thought, in both the Anglo-American and the continental tradition of philosophy, both those traditions sort of came to the conclusion that actually we don't get to know anything for certain. All right. And then therefore you get this kind of postmodern condition that says we don't get to know anything for certain. Therefore, knowledge is just a construct. Therefore, we can construct it pretty much any way we want. And we end up in this post-truth era, which kind of fits with the self-help world. All right. But I want to go back to the foundations of epistemology and say there are sort of two views of epistemology. One is the realist view, and one of them is the idealist view. This is a huge simplification I'm giving you right now. Realism versus idealism. This is to do with how we know the world. Now, a realist would say, well, the world is real, right? The world is absolutely real. So right now I'm sitting here, you can't see this. I'm just leaning over and picking up a book off the table. What is it? The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. There we go, a classic. A realist would say that book, The Power of Now, really is in your hand right now, right? It's just a fact. It is a fact that I'm holding the power of now. Nothing more to it, right? A realist says there is a world out there that exists independent of our ideas about it. And our ideas are simply there to grasp that world. Now, that's a realist. A naive realist is one step beyond. A naive realist says there is a world out there and it is the same as the world I experience. I experience the world out there directly as it is. That's a naive realist. All right. A naive realist would disagree that there are a number of different ways of experiencing the world, or there's a number of different ways of making sense, or there are a number of different truths about any particular state of affairs that could be declared, right? So uh, a naive realist falls for the idea of how I see it is how it is, and what I see is all there is. That's naive realism. There's a great quote from Robert Anton Wilson. I wish I'd got it up before jumping on this podcast. I just didn't know I'd go in this direction. Maybe I'll share it somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, naive realism like, is the source in Robert Anton Wilson's quote of all ignorance, of all bigotry, of all stupidity, whatever. He puts it down to naive realism. Now, idealism is a different thing entirely. Idealism says that all we experience really is our ideas of things, how our mind makes them up to be, right? So we don't experience the world out there. We experience the world in here, in our mind, in our uh, phenomenology, so to speak. So you could say a naive idealist is somebody who believes that's all there is. There is no real truth out there. There's no truth, right? And this is a kind of position in some senses that, um, that is marked a lot by like postmodernism, post-structuralism, philosophy, this kind of thing. Almost the sense that the only knowledge is constructed. That's it. That's the only function it serves is it's constructed knowledge. And a lot of the, uh, you know, Michel Foucault and the likes will say it's constructed through discourse purely to perpetuate these power differentials. It's all about power. Knowledge is all about power. Okay. Um, 
and that's it. I think that's a wrong-headed view. I'll just state that right now. It's a wrong-headed view. You call that naive idealism. Just want to drop a quick tidy up note into the flow here. I do not wish to lead people to believe that Foucault's idea of power knowledge, which we're not getting into here, is naive idealism. It's not. I would say that Michel Foucault is a naive idealist. I would be willing to make that case. Others would argue otherwise. But naive idealism is a thing that exists separate from Michel Foucault, his ideas of power knowledge and all of this kind of thing. So I just wanted to clear that up. Okay, let's dive back into the flow. Now, I often teach this model of epistemology to people. And I draw this up on a board. And in the middle, I write something like ideas or concepts or whatever. It doesn't really matter. We could call it ideas, concepts. And I say, the point of ideas and concepts is they have two functions. I call this the two functions of thought model. I say function number one, and I draw an arrow upwards. I say the function number one is to point out to the world, to reach out to the world, right? And it's to reach out to the world so we can get, metaphorically speaking, a grip upon the world and work with it as it is. That's how our thoughts and ideas work. And then I draw a line down. The second function of thoughts, ideas, concepts is to create our experience of the world and of ourselves in the world, right? So we have two functions to enable us to reach out to the world and work with it and to create our experience of the world within ourselves. And I point out that of these two functions, the first one our minds always do imperfectly and fallibly. So whatever ideas we use to reach out to the world, we're wrong to some degree or another, because whatever we say about the world, whatever we think about the world, the world that we're thinking about isn't made of the thoughts we're thinking about it with, right? The world isn't made of the words you use to describe the world. They will always fall short. And I love that Werner Heisenberg quote, the universe is not any more complex than you think, it's more complex than you can think. So therefore, in our model, we can see that our thoughts are trying to grasp something more complex than they are able to in its full richness. So that's imperfect. Function one of thoughts and ideas is imperfect. Function two, I often teach, is perfect. You will experience according to how you think, you will experience according to how you make sense. Everything. And so we're always making sense of ourselves in the world. And that creates an experience of ourselves in the world. And that experience will create our engagement with the world. And I've talked about this elsewhere through the be, do, have model. Right? Our experience of ourselves, our being as we create ourselves, from that, spontaneously emerges our doings, our engagement with the world, which in turn co-creates with the world the results we get, hence be, do, have. So on this model, if you think, well, I want to increase my power, I want to increase my agency in the world. This is the agency of everything podcast. I want to be coming from the best state that I possibly can. And there's a lot of value to this. I call this the primacy of state. Right, taking care of your being first. So that means I want to think about myself in the world. I want to make sense of myself in the world. Sense-making is an important thing. I'm going to do a whole episode on sense-making at some point, I think. Um, it's really important to make sense of myself in the world in a way that creates a showing up in the world and an engagement with the world 
that is effective in terms of the kind of results I want to get. So I've got like kind of a pragmatic take on it there. So we have power in how we make sense. Most people miss this. Right? Certainly the naive realist who says, you know, how I see it is how it is and what I see is all there is. They have no power in how they see it because they think they're just seeing it as it is, right? The naive idealist is like, well, you know, I live in a world of thought. Maybe these thoughts can be made up in a variety of different ways. But often, like certainly more politicized postmodernists, let's call them, often don't connect to their power to make up the world the way they want. They act as if they are victims to the sense-making of society at all times. And therefore, you get some activists who advocate censorship and control of discourse so as to ensure that people aren't victimized or violence isn't done to them by ideas. Right? That's a whole crazy rabbit hole. Maybe I'll do an episode on that at some point, right? It's related to sense-making and I don't think it's a healthy thing for us. So where does this put us in terms of the three wise monkeys? Well, what it means is, actually, let me reverse for a second here. If we go back to Stoicism, there's a line from Epictetus, which goes something like this. I think not just Epictetus, it's a general Stoic line, but I'm thinking about it being in the Enchiridion, which says, the only place that we have power the only real place that we have power is with our conceptions and our choices. Now, choices, that makes sense to people. They go, well, I choose this or I choose that. But conceptions is an interesting thing. Conceptions means the ideas that we connect with, that we use to make sense of the world. And interestingly, it doesn't mention this in the Enchiridion, but that our conceptions actually create our choices. Right? I can't make a choice that I can't make sense of first, right? I need to have a distinction to make a choice. I've often pointed this out before. Um, if I offer you an apple and an orange, but you only have a way of conceptualizing that as fruit, then I'm going fruit or fruit. You're like, well, just give me any. But if you've got the distinction of apple from orange, you can go, oh, actually I'll take the orange, right? Or maybe a better example is if I offered you two chocolates that looked similar, I said, would you like a chocolate or a chocolate? I said, well, there's no choice there. But if I say, would you like an orange cream or would you like a strawberry cream, right? You might go, oh, I'll take the orange cream or oh, I'll take the strawberry cream. Distinction creates choice. The sense you make creates the choice. So when you take this idea, we have our conceptions and our choices, but our choices are based on our conceptions, you start to find that you have a lot of power in your sense making, right? When you learn to master your own epistemology, Instead of simply being a victim to your own epistemology, most people do this. As David Baum said, your mind makes up the world and says, I didn't do it. Once you become a master of your own epistemology, a master of your own sense-making, you step into your power to create and find and reveal choice within the world in a way that you might not have had before. This is why a huge part of the work that I do, one-on-one -on -one with people, people hire me to help them transform their seeing and their being, i.e. the way they see the world, the way they experience themselves in the world, and the choices they experience in the world, thus increasing their personal power and their ability to bring about the outcomes they want. But what I do not do is make the stride all the way over to the other side of naive idealism. And I think a lot of the personal development world does this, right? 
a lot of people start to almost become paranoid that they might do the wrong thoughts or think negative things, right? That if they see any evil, if they hear any evil, if they speak any evil, i.e. by that, I mean anything that isn't all, hey, we're in our power, flowers and, 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 and rose-tinted spectacles and everything is great, right? If they go there, that somehow their vibration's going to come down and it's going to lead to this awful cascade of terrible things. They're going to just manifest dreadfulness, right? I do not believe this is the case. And I think there is a danger in going fully post-truth, in fully naive idealism. Now, here's the bet that I'm willing to make right now. Yes, function two of thought, the way we create our experience for ourselves, is hugely important, but it is also important that we continue to point to reality in all its rich complexity in functional, useful ways. Alfred Korzybski, the founder of General Semantics, which was a huge influence on NLP, came up with a term that many will have heard, the map is not the territory, right? The map is not the territory. There's a huge significance in this that a lot of people miss. I've heard some people go, no, the map is the territory because the map is all you know. That's therefore all you have to work with, right? So you might as well treat your map as the territory. I think this is a mistake. That's naive idealism, right? The sense I make is all there is. It's all that counts. It's all that creates. There is no world to co-create with. Right? Let me just say something about this. My philosophy, my grounding is we co-create with a world that is around us, a rich, complex world that always goes beyond our knowing. We never know the absolute truth of it, but we can dance with it when we make good sense of it, right? But there is a world. The truth is out there, to quote Fox Mulder from the X-Files. It's just that we, you know, we don't get to know it directly. We just get to get kind of close to it and figure out how to interact with it, right? So the map is not the territory, but there is a territory. So a lot of the kind of sort of postmodernists and things will say, well, the map is not the territory and we don't get to know the territory, so therefore we can forget the territory. No, I don't think that we can. I don't think that we do. And I think this leads to a danger, and I think it's leading us to a danger in the world. In you know, some people call it the post-truth era. As soon as people start believing that, well, there is no truth other than the truth we construct. There is no truth beyond the narrative, right? There's an aside point here. Like if you look at this in the world of politics, old school politicians, they might have manipulated the truth, but they would have had a sense they were lying, right? The more people connect into a post-truth world, they go, well, there is no truth beyond the narrative, and there's no truth beyond the discourse. There is no truth beyond power creating through discourse. So we just get busy being in charge of the narrative and the discourse, and then we make the truth. And then we make a map that no longer corresponds to any kind of territory at all, and then we drift away, right, from the territory. And I think there's a danger to this. Why is there a danger to this? Because our ideas, first and foremost, are there. All right, they create our experience of the world, but they are first and foremost there to make sense of the world, to enable us to make good predictions about it. So some postmodernist activists, these sort of post-Foucault sort of activist types, they, they may well think that if ideas are just about power and we make them up differently, then the power dynamics change. But those ideas, they're not primarily there just to uh, perpetuate power dynamics. Ideas are there first and foremost to help people make sense of the world. Yes, okay, 
they may carry with them power dynamics, but that's not their primary function. It's not their only function. So ideas, as soon as they become a bad match for reality, they no longer help. Here's a simple example. I live in the West End of Edinburgh. You may even hear, as I'm recording, you may even hear the sound of a tram go by. Okay, the trams go by in the street right outside. The trams don't swerve. If you get in front of the tram, if it doesn't stop in time, it won't swerve to miss you. That much is sure, right? I'm pretty sure about it. So if I step out in front of the tram and I go, there is no tram. Even if I successfully convince myself, even if I really believe there's no tram, I am willing to bet that I'll probably still get hit by the thing that I call the tram. Right, so my idea, my map, once it becomes a bad fit for reality, it doesn't help me anymore. So where does this fit with self-development? Where does this fit with personal power? Right? It means we're charged with this both and thing. Yes, we want to render up reality in a way that has us meet it in a quote-unquote high vibration state. But we also really are best served by it being a good fit for the world as well. Okay? So we want this tethered at both ends. And this is a thing that people miss. So, for example, one of the big changes that I made when I first got into NLP was to move away from what was called the problem frame or problem framing into outcome framing, right? So problem framing is always looking for the problem, looking for the problem, looking for the problem. Outcome framing is looking for a solution, looking for a solution, looking for a solution. Years later, uh, I was coached by a guy called Steve Chandler, and he had the owner-victim distinction, which I find very useful. You can either live in ownership, that's owning your power, owning your choices, or you can live in victimhood, that's rendering yourself up as a victim to everything, right? So I've often said an owner is somebody who habitually sorts for where they can make a difference in the world. A victim is somebody who habitually sorts for where they cannot. And these are different ways of orientating the world, different ways of being. But does it mean if you are being an owner or you are committing to outcome framing, does it mean you must never utter anything about an obstacle or a barrier or a problem or a potential difficulty? No, it doesn't mean that, right? Those who take it to mean that are taking an overly simplistic rendering of this. So there's a difference between looking at a problem and looking at that problem um, from a resourceful position, but still ignoring it as a problem, and then seeking solutions and possible remedies versus being a victim to a problem or problematizing, that is looking for problems inside of everything. And some people, like people who have generally what you might call a, uh, a victim relationship with the world, right? And some people say, James, how can you say that? You are being dismissive of real victims. I'm not. There's a difference between being a victim and having a victim mentality, right? I could walk down the street. I could be mugged by somebody and I would be a victim of mugging. That would be a fact, but it wouldn't necessarily mean that I had a victim mentality. If I then said my life could never be the same again, my whole life's been ruined because I've been mugged. Now I would be living into my victimhood psychologically, right? And that, I am going to suggest, is of questionable value for people looking to increase their power and their ability to make a difference in the world. And when I say power, I'm talking about power with, 
right? I'm talking about power to, not power over. I'm not talking about that Foucaultian power that seems to be the concern of certain um, activists uh, in that post-Foucault tradition. Okay? So what I'm saying here is that we can meet all sorts of realities in the world. We do not have to see no evil. We do not have to hear no evil. We do not have to speak no evil. We can see it. We can look at it. We can name it. What's important is that we look at it and we render it up with an effective map that renders it up well and finds our choice and our power in relation to that. This is absolutely doable. The trouble that we have is we have these minds that do what Alfred Gorsibsky would call Aristotelian thinking. That means we either or everything and we have this excluded middle, right? We're always going all the way to this side, all the way to that side, all the way to the left, all the way to the right. That's why people who like think of politics in terms of left and right wing, they get constantly caught in this trap whereby they're trying to work out who's left, who's right, this kind of thing. You know, or whatever they don't, I'm, I'm on the right and they don't seem like me, so they must be on the left. I'm on the left and they don't seem like me, so they must be on the right. It's a fallacy. It's a lousy map. It lacks detail. It lacks richness. I'm just giving that as an example, but we tend to do that everywhere, right? So, so people do this in the self-development world. They go, well, I need to look after my inner state, my inner being. So I mustn't look at the world. I mustn't look at certain features. I mustn't say certain things are the case. I mustn't address them. Or you can, but do so in a way that enables you to be in your power, right? I could look at a dragon bearing down on me, right? And even if I think that's bigger than me, it's breathing hotter fire than me, right? But can I look at that dragon coming down and be in my power? You know, like St. George, and there, I got my broadsword, here it comes, scales glinting, right? How am I going to meet this, right? Pretending there's no dragon's not going to help me meet this. Right? Neither is saying, the dragon's so much bigger than me. The dragon's got fiery breath. The dragon's scary. That's not going to help me meet this either. But I get to create how I meet this dragon. Don't need to dispel it. I don't need to say there is no dragon. That will not help me. That is not a route to increase personal power and agency. Okay, so that's what I wanted to say about uh, personal development and the three wise monkeys. If you have any questions about this, please do ask. If you have any topics or anything you'd like me to put energy on inside of Agents of Everything, and Agents of Everything is about us finding our power in the world. That's why within this podcast series, I will be looking at us, our individual power, where it comes from, our renderings of reality, our sense-making. I'll be looking at personal skills, but I am also going to be looking at the world, what's happening in the world, what's unfolding in the world, okay? And some of that stuff may, from time to time, not be something that people may initially find as cheerful. As I cover it, I will be doing my best to ensure you know, help people connect into powerful resource frames, right? I am no doomsayer saying, here come the dark forces, but there are forces in the world. There are dragons in the world, right? And sometimes... 
what we're looking to do is uh, sometimes we want to slay those dragons, maybe, or at least tame them. Okay, uh, if you've got any questions, anything you'd like me to dive deeper into, I'd love to hear from you in the comment section below. And uh, just let me know what you're making of this so far. Your participation, your questions, your comments, they're going to help direct this journey. If you're finding this value of this and you think there's yet more value you can get, participate in the conversation with me, and then you will be in your power to co-create this.